As weird as this sounds, you know what one of my favorite desserts is at the end of a you know a good meal, a long day, and you just want to relax? A bowl of cereal. I love cereal. Don't get it as much as I used to, you know, especially as a kid. But uh, the biggest reason is there, there's really, you know, it's not healthy at all. You know, <laughs> the cereal that we like, it's that sugary, carb-loaded, just empty calories is really all it is. Uh, but it's just so good so sometimes. But that is where Magic Spoon has stepped in and said, you know what? Adults like cereal. Let's make some healthy cereal that actually tastes like cereal, something good, something indulgent. And so they have come up with a zero sugar, high protein, low carb, very tasty cereal. It's keto friendly, it's gluten free, it's grain free, soy free, GMO free, and it comes in four different flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. Uh, that covers pretty much all the bases of everything that uh, that I would indulge in. And so if you're looking for kind of that 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 craving satisfier of, of having a great bowl of cereal, something I actually just had, um, but without the guilt attached to it, Magic Spoon is your answer. If you'd like to try some, go to magicspoon.com slash ASP for Adventure Sports Podcast and grab yourself a variety pack today. And if you don't absolutely love it, they have a 100% money back guarantee. And again, you know, New Year's is coming up. We're all trying to be a new, a new self. Maybe it's a bowl of cereal to start your day that can help you do that. magicspoon.com slash ASP. And you can use the code ASP for free shipping. All right, now on to the adventure. First uh, bullet is a rubber ball, um, just to have like a step-by-step -step procedure so you can let the bear know that uh, you, you hit him first without using um, a full bullets. And uh, we also have uh, signal uh, pistols. Bear spray. Bear spray is very effective. Of course, you need the good conditions because, uh, of course, if you use the spray and uh, there's no wind, it means that the bear is very close to you. These are multi-week, even month-long trips of crossing these giant expanses of ice that are not even, they are not safe in a lot of ways, and they are constantly changing because of climate change. Uh, the world is getting hotter, you know, whether you want to argue about what's causing that, uh, the world is getting hotter. And so... Uh, Vincent and his partner, also famed explorer Borg Ausland, are doing this together, this project. They've done about seven of these uh, glaciers and ice caps that they're crossing, and they've got 13 more to go. Um, they're scattered all over the world, and this project is incredible, and they're calling it the Ice Legacy Project. You can find out more about it at icelegacy.com where you can see an exact, you know, GPS route of what they took, the route, the exact route, where it was, satellite images, videos, and really visualize what they're doing here. Because it's incredible. I can't tell you, you know, a glacier is not like walking across a frozen river. Uh, some of these glaciers are the size of countries, and they are going across such 
uncertain terrain, uh, these things called snow bridges that can collapse where they get dropped into, you know, thousands of feet of crevasses, um, to dealing with polar bears, uh, to the weather, to the terrain. You just, you do, there's so many variables and it's so ridiculously cold. I really encourage you to, to look into it. It's incredible. But anyway, this has been like a six minute intro. So I apologize for all of that. Here is the episode. Um, and we're talking to Vincent Collier. Vincent, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks, Mason. Good to be here, and thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for jumping on. So where are you coming from in the world today? So right now, we're doing this call from right above the Arctic Circle in uh, Norway in the beautiful archipelago of the Lofoten Islands. So you're actually in the Arctic Circle right now. Yeah, and it actually feels, it really feels the winter already, so the days are getting shorter and shorter every day, and soon, in about a month, I think, we will dive into the polar polar night, Oh my which uh, seems, could could be uh, boring for some people, and could be very interesting for for some others who are willing to uh, step outside on a clear day and watch uh, the northern nights. How do you handle the winter? I think it's really uh, it's really about perspectives and how we put things into perspectives. Because, of course, winter here can be tough. But also, in the same time, if we want to use it as an opportunity, it's a great way to spend some time and just barely see the sun going out, uh, sun rising and then sun setting right after. And then it's a great opportunity, yeah, to watch the the northern lights, and um, and still it's a you have to enter in a kind of a winter mode. I think it's it really feels to be uh, close to living like a, I don't know like a mother like a mother polar bear. You know, the winter comes mm. and she's staying inside the den with the with the the cubs, and uh, and it's a long winter. But it's also a very interesting period, and uh, we're going to spend some time here together with my girlfriend and uh, uh, in a small village called uh, Henningsver, which is a fishing village. It's just basically a couple of rocks in the ocean. <laughs> and that's um, the village. <laughs> so very interesting place to, to prepare. Well, hopefully, to be honest, hopefully this COVID-19 thing is slowing down and uh, we can get back to uh, adventuring. So we'll have this time to prepare uh, a great 2021, hopefully. Absolutely. Well, well tell us this. What, where did you grow up and, and what, how, how did you get introduced to, uh, to adventures? Uh, just because, you know, we always love to hear what, you know, you're obviously doing incredible things now, but where were you introduced to all this? I was introduced to uh, adventuring because at first place, I had the great uh, opportunity to grow in a place uh, in the Basque region in, uh, in France, in the southwest, close to the Spanish border. And it's a place where basically you are able to do some mountaineering and do some sailing in the same day. So it's between uh, it's between the um, 
the the Atlantic Ocean and uh, and the mountain of the Pyrenees, and um, and then I read uh, adventure stories when I was um, I think I was still a teenager, if I was sixteen or seventeen, and I heard uh, stories about uh, polar explorers, and I heard about the ice and uh, and the polar bears. And it's probably because I didn't have any any ice back home that I got interest into it. I don't know. I really feel sometimes it's like this in life when you don't have something and you really want to have it. And then you will. Mm. So it was just, a, I think, a matter of curiosity. And then I started uh, traveling to Svalbard. So Svalbard is an archipelago uh, about a thousand kilometers from the North Pole. It belongs to Norway, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a little polar mecca. So it's a great place to to learn. And I went there when I was eighteen, and then yeah, I came there. It was again the middle of the polar winter. It was January, and I didn't know nothing about winter camping, how to start a stove when it's uh, cold, and how to handle the moisture. When you when you uh, sleep in a tent for many days in a row, and um, and I think from that trip, I think I caught the virus, and the virus, uh, I still have the virus uh, these days. You caught the good virus, the good, not, not the coronavirus. I caught, <laughs> I caught Mason. I caught the good virus indeed, the virus of the polar region. The virus of the polar <laughs> region. I, you know, you know, some yeah. people would not look at that as a good virus as well, but. Uh, <laughs> Someone like me, who's from a warmer climate, you know, might say, "I don't know about that," but it's in, it's incredibly impressive and incredibly inspiring seeing what seeing what y'all are doing. But uh, so, so from there, you caught you caught the virus, you caught the bug, you were excited to do these trips. Um, you know, f- from that point, what what started opening your eyes to? Kind of how the world was changing, how climate change was taking effect. Were you just happily doing your expeditions and not really thinking about that? And then something opened your eyes. What was that experience of learning kind of the effect of climate change? So at, at, I think at first I was interesting in the polar regions because of the challenge and these uh, rugged and, and raw environments and still are unique places where I feel alive in a way and connected to nature. And I had the great opportunity to meet my like childhood hero who is a Norwegian called uh, Bergeusland. And uh, he was the first man to uh, reach uh, the North Pole uh, in solo and unsupported. So I think in the beginning, the attraction for this place was because it was tough and because it was, I think, a personal challenge to grow so I could grow as a person and get more knowledge. Um, And then there is one major expedition uh, 10 years ago, uh, sailing. uh, I was together so with Berger and we sail around the North Pole in one single season and uh, through the Northwest Passage which is, uh, well, this, the passage that connects uh, the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific. Um, we sailed uh, that stretch in, um, in just over three weeks. And uh, only one century ago, 
the Norwegian Roald Amundsen used uh, three years. So of course, we had better technology, more information, better boats. But the main reason why we were able to sail that stretch uh, that quickly is because of the ice retreat. And uh, one day, one day we were in a, a very narrow strait called the Bello. And usually Bello is a place that you don't really sail there because it's packed of ice, so it's very difficult. But it's also kind of a shortcut uh, in the passage. And, um, and we sailed that stretch and, uh, that stretch and it was no ice. And suddenly there is a polar bear that is on the shore and we approach with the tramaran. And we are now f- about 15 meters uh, from that polar bear. And I clearly remember the way that Porbet looked at us. And I realized that day, later on, that this Porbet deprived from, from sea ice. Uh, so basically, he can't hunt seal. It's exactly the same thing as if we were to take away all our supermarkets from, from our cities. Mm. And then I realized, okay, the polar regions are maybe tough. And that's why I was attracted by them, because it was like a personal ego challenge. But in the end, I, told, I realized, well, one, these one or two degrees of warming temperature, they are turning ice into water. And so that's where I grew up in Biarritz, which is a surfer town. You don't really feel one or two degrees of warming temperature. And it's actually, everyone is pretty happy about it. And I'm also happy to spend more time in T-shirt during the year. But in the end, I realized that the polar regions are extremely fragile environments. And um, so a few years later, when Berger mentioned uh, the idea about crossing the 20 largest ice caps, uh, not only for fun, but to bridge uh, science and adventure. And then I was just... I was just hooked because for me, that was the logical path. It was to, to try to, um, to work on a conservation project or on a project that is not just about uh, uh, adventure. So you saw firsthand the, the effect of climate change on, on these, you know, very, very extreme, but very delicate places. And then Borgade, came up with that idea of the, the 20 ice caps. So, so, so what, what about that intrigued you and wh- how interesting or how amazing was it to be doing this with, you know, what you called a childhood hero? So it's, I think it's like, uh, it's like being a kid the day of Christmas when you, you still believe and, uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, and you wait for for Santa Claus to come in the chimney and uh, you know and make this great uh, depot of gifts, and that was pretty much the same thing uh, when I shared my first expedition together with Borge, and also I think my life really changed uh, after I met him because for the amount of lo- knowledge that um, the legacy of knowledge. And uh, we might have nine, I think, nine expeditions together. We might have done yeah, nine expeditions together. And so I started, I remember I, did, I barely 
knew how to correctly pitch a tent in a in windy conditions and uh, and then uh, to from a childhood then then it, be- it became like my expedition partner great achievement I, I imagine man that's that's so cool to hear that you know it's it's at some point i'm sure it does feel a little more normal but at the beginning how amazing is it that you get to to do this with someone you you looked up to that that's really cool so t- tell us about the Ice Legacy Project. It is crossing the 20 largest glaciers in the world uh, in an effort to raise awareness and to, to raise awareness about this issue of them all essentially melting and, and disappearing. Yeah, so the the Ice Legacy uh, is that it's the, so the on, ongoing series of expeditions, um, so crossing the 20 largest ice caps. Uh, on the planet. So for short definition, um, we have uh, on our planet uh, the ice sheets um, that are really big. Uh, for the for the number, it's above uh, 50,000 square kilometers. Um, and wow. these are Greenland and Antarctica. And then we have ice caps. And so our goal was is, is to cross these uh, 20 ice caps. We have done seven so far, and of course we like these places. Um, but the main, really, the the idea is to bridge science, bridge adventure and science. Sometimes when I hear uh, numbers from scientists that there's this amount of square kilometer that have that has melted, I don't understand the numbers, and so. The idea of the project is to have this uh, the storytelling and the adventure combined with science um, efforts. So, for example, the next uh, expedition, uh, so Borgia has already crossed uh, the southern ice cap in Patagonia uh, in 2003. So I will hopefully do it next year together with uh, Caroline Cote, my girlfriend. And uh, the idea is to um, sample some ice every day to, in order to collect some black carbon. So b- to make it simple, we melt some snow or ice, and then we collect, uh, we process the, the, the water on a filter, and then we collect some black carbon on these filters. And there's a lot of CO2 in the atmosphere. And some CO2 is natural coming out, for example, from a volcano. And some is also coming from our own uh, responsibility. Uh, just our economical, our way of life and our economical model is producing a lot of CO2. And so the final goal of Ice Legacy in the end is if we were able, if we are able to know what is the human responsibility in the, the glacier recession. And, and even beyond this, the, the, the overall idea and mission of Ice Legacy is to, to try to answer the question of how can purposeful adventures help us uh, rethink our way of life and the way we consume products? And because, of course, it's like we, we vote, uh, well, at least in France, we vote every four years for a president. But we vote every single day with our credit card. When the happiness of a society is based on consumption, pro- consuming products, I think, first of all, the society is maybe a little bit sick. 
And also every time we buy something, that has an impact. And in the end, it has an impact far away from the payment terminal. It has an impact all the way to the, the glacier recession. Um, so yeah, that's what's, that's the, I think that's the mission of, of Ice Legacy. That's an overwhelmingly important mission. Is it difficult to complete this challenge and to also maintain like a sense of, I don't know, accomplishment or a sense of, of joy out there? Because I, I watched some videos of some of your uh, some of the the expeditions you've already completed, and it's it's absolutely breathtaking, absolutely stunning. It's a place that seems so so incredible. Is it hard to enjoy? Well, yeah, there is one way. There is that that bright side of uh, enjoying the the field, and there is, uh, of course, the 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 dark side of. Uh, and even even to, to to really to myself, I have this. Uh, this uh, confusion and um, I'm questioning myself because in the end we're we're not preaching we're not we're not preaching you know um, and neither judging uh, actions of others uh, we're just really trying to question ourselves and the fact that we see the beauty of our planet and because we're so lucky to travel to these places we feel that we all have inside us all the responsibility to protect wild open spaces. So, and of course, we're trying uh, to reach a broader audience and, and especially people that will never have the chance to, to travel to the polar regions. It's how can we ins- inspire them to, to act and to clean, to clean their acts so so we can reduce in the end our our carbon footprint another point is um, because in in the climate uh, discussion some people would believe uh, about uh, the climate change and uh, the fact that uh, humans are uh, responsible and some others won't but no matter what in the end do we want to be part of the solution or part of the problem and if we don't believe of the responsibility of uh, human humans uh, in the climate change, maybe it's, it is still not probably an excuse not to take care of our planet and uh, and to to leave uh, a rich a still a rich world to explore for 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 our children. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it's it's an important no matter what you believe about it, taking care of the planet and. Reversing any damage we do is is obviously the minimum. So, so if you don't mind, I'd love to ask some some details, like about the experience itself and what it's been like so far. Um, you say you've completed sure. seven of these so far. When you go out, do you complete one at a time, or do you, are you trying to group them together? And, and where where are these places located? So these places are located uh, well mainly in the high uh, latitudes, mm-hmm. uh, well both in the north and the south hemisphere, except for uh, Pakistan. That is uh, this one. The Karakorum is still on the list, and um, and then apart from this one, they are uh, Alaska, Canada, Iceland, Norway, Russia, Patagonia, Antarctica. And I forgot one in the northern hemisphere, Greenland. 
Wow, that's pretty cool that it's in so many varied places. You, you, I would assume they were all kind of bunched together in Greenland or something, but the fact that no, they are no, split yeah. between the hemispheres and many of them are outside the Arctic circles, what a, what, what a varied experience, you know, experiencing essentially the, the same type of environment, but in so many different places. That, that's, that's exciting. You've got a lot to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, for example, the ice caps, uh, we crossed uh, the three largest ice caps in Alaska, and they are very different from the ones in, in Canada, for example. So the terrain in Alaska is very alpine, um, especially the Stikine Ice Field and, uh, and the Chugach Mountain Range. Um, this is pretty alpine. And then other glaciers in Canada are way smoother. And also it depends on... Yeah, the age uh, of the, these uh, these ice caps. Some of them are different. So some older glaciers are smoother, and some some ice caps that are surrounded by young mountains, young and sharp mountains. Uh, these are really broken, and sometimes someday one day I remember back uh, on the sticky ice field, we use uh, about twelve hours to do a, a one kilometer. So. Yeah, not uh, nearly a half a mile. Oh my gosh! So we, I, I remember at the end of the day, we just pitched the tent and we looked back and we we're like, "Oh, okay, that was uh, last night camp," and we could just see it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> could throw a rock to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so what is it? What What does it mean to cross these? What What are you? What's What's the terrain? Like you said, it varies, but. What does it look like? Are you are how do you carry your gear? Is it on your back? Are you on skis? What what are you doing to get these completed? So um, in Alaska, because the terrain is is pretty complicated, uh, we end up usually the the most complicated areas of an ice cap or a glacier is the the beginning, the entrance, and the way out. Um, because mm-hmm. that's the place, uh, and then in the middle you have the cap, right? And and, and this is where you ski. But to ex- to access this uh, plateau, uh, usually you need uh, first uh, when we start at sea level and the ice is raw and pretty broken, we end up carrying our equipment on our back, and so when we go for a month. Uh, or a month and a half uh, unsupported, we have to carry uh, everything back and forth many times in the beginning. Um, because for us, which is really important, is that we go unsupported, so we don't receive any uh, support from the uh, outside world. Mm, so we start, uh, this, this is the essence to me of adventure, is you start with all your gear and then you complete your mission uh, or you're crossing and uh, and you don't receive any help uh, on the way or if you do is because you have you're in trouble and uh, yeah and basically uh, just just as an idea one day uh, one day of food uh, is one kilo so then uh, so if you go for 45 days it's uh, for you have pretty much 45 uh, kilo of food and plus on top of this uh, the fuel and then all the equipment to be able to Across the glacier, so from from ropes to ice axes, uh, crampons, skis, uh, sleds. So when we are on the plateau, we are all the time using sleds because um, 
it's much better to pull a 60 kilo or 80 kilo sleds than uh, carrying a 30 kilo backpack for sure. How do you stay warm? Are you are you just kind of used to this stuff? But is there any special equipment you use to to either you know stay warm during the day or stay warm at night, or or, or has it been much of an issue to deal with that? Well, during the day, the idea is to um, it's like I think uh, it's like riding. I would say a bicycle to uh, to uh, to keep the balance. You must just uh, keep moving, and that's the same with the temperature of our body. To stay warm, we gotta just uh, keep on moving. That's uh, what we do throughout the day, and we just take short breaks to have uh, a little bit of fuel, so food and drinks, and then we can uh, continue uh, all the way to the evening. And then in the evening, as soon as you uh, pitch the tent, we basically do everything from our sleeping bags. So. Inside the tent, we are sitting uh, in a kind of a chair and uh, and you are already in the sleeping bag and you don't leave the sleeping bag until the next day. So you, we, are, we are making sure that we conserve the warmth because, of course, in a cold, uh, cold environment, it takes a lot of energy to stay warm and it takes good gear, but, but also a good routine. So if we if we just open the sleeping bag and then just go outside and we lose a lot of uh, heat, so the idea is to try to stay in the bag as long as we can. And uh, so like this, when we eat and digest the food, it brings calories to to the body and heat it up, and then it hits the, the sleeping bag. So that is so fascinating. Yep. So when it's cold, uh, when it's cold, there's a yeah, there's a really a, a procedure and. Uh, and the, the difficult trips uh, are the ones that we need to fight with the moisture. So, for example, in Patagonia or in places uh, close to the Arctic Ocean, when there is a, we just we need to realize that when it's cold and when there's a lot of moisture, uh, it's very hard to dry equipment, and and for. Just to give you an idea, when we sleep, um, when we are inside our sleeping bags, in some places you must use what they call the vapor barrier, which is basically like a big, huge plastic bag that you are sleeping inside. So the moisture of your body when you are drying your socks uh, between your legs or in the warm uh, parts of your body, uh, all the moisture is trapped inside this bag because if you don't use this bag and then the moisture goes inside the sleeping bag if it's really cold the ice will start forming inside the sleeping bag and that is then it's a it's a big mess oh my gosh so so do you just stay wet all night well you keep you at least try to keep the moisture and then in the morning when it's really cold you can brush the the these vapor barriers so because then if you take these vapor barriers out of the sleeping bag and then in the tent or in the vestibule of the tent the moisture becomes ice because it's so cold and then you can just brush uh, the ice of the vapor barrier and then it's dry again but then you can't do this if the moisture has gone into the sleeping bag then it's it's mm. no there's no way 
except opening the the sleeping bag with a, a knife or so, and then it's a big mess. God, Vincent, man, that sounds so cold. <laughs> How do you even get up and start walking after a day that cold? Honestly, no. But the 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 thing is that when you have so this uh, this kind of uh, routine. You can really enjoy it. And the, that's what I really like about polar exploration is that we're not supposed to live there and we're just passing through. But when we are able to be comfortable at minus uh, 30 or minus 40, it's really, a, uh, in a way, it's really a treat because it's like there's no room for mistakes. But if you have a good plan and you manage to be comfortable in this environment, you really see it in a different way and then suddenly you enjoy it and it's it's very beautiful so tell tell us this you know you're covering the cold obviously is is a big danger are there any other dangers that you've faced what what are the biggest dangers that you've faced um on these expeditions i know it can probably vary by region but i but i saw some equipment that you had in some of the videos and was curious about about what you're facing out there so, yeah, as you said, uh, Mason, it really depends on the region. Uh, in Alaska, I think the, the main uh, danger we had, um, uh, well, the main two, the two dangers we had was, were the crevasses and uh, the avalanches. Some places are getting narrow and we have to commit to continue the crossing. So there are some places where we must go and we have no choice. Um, and it can be exposed to avalanches, uh, and it's the same for the, for crevasses. And uh, I remember a few years back uh, in the Tugach uh, mountain range ice field, um, Borge fell through a crevasse twice in the same afternoon, and uh, and and that is also something that is actually linked to the warming temperatures of our planet because. Because of the warming temperatures, the snow bridges are getting weaker. And so two times he was just as the first time I was leading and then he was in the back and the snow bridge collapsed, but he managed to step on the side to ski on the side. Uh, so he was only uh, to the down to the knee in the crevasse. And then the second time he was uh, all the way to um, higher than the hip. So it's very, it was very strange to suddenly you see your friend going through a snow bridge that collapsed. And the second time he was leading and, uh, and yeah, and suddenly you have your friend in the end of a rope and, uh, and immediately we thought about, yeah, okay, this is also happening. Of course, snow bridges has broken in the past, even when the, the climate was colder. But now it's a higher risk, uh, higher risk when the temperature are warmer. And then some other glaciers, uh, I would say like Svalbard uh, or Russia, and also Canada. Uh, the polar bear, polar bear is a danger to consider uh, seriously, for sure. The polar bear. Now, now is that why I saw you carrying a gun? Yeah. So we carry uh, several. Well, we carry. Um, uh, in Svalbard, we had uh, a revolver, actually a Magnum 44, so that you would use this really in case of the bear getting very close to you. And then uh, shotgun, and the first uh, bullet is a rubber ball. Uh, 
um, just to have like a step-by-step procedure so you can let the bear know that uh, you you hit him first without using um, uh, full bullets. And uh, we also have uh, signal uh, pistols, bear spray. Bear spray is very effective. Of course, you need the good conditions. Um, you need a little bit of wind to help uh, the spray uh, uh, travel. Because, uh, of course, if you use the spray and uh, there's no wind, it means that the bear is very close to you and then also when we camp uh, in a polar bear territory we use uh, a trip wire which is a system uh, that you set up around the tent with a fishing line and a small rod and to every pole there is uh, like an explosive with uh, it's like a flashlight so that can help to um, like prevent flare, you that like there's a flare gun. Yep, like a flare, flare gun. Yeah. Mm. Instead of taking taking polar bear watches, it's uh, I think it's uh, on a long trip. It's uh, it's very tiring. Man, that is so crazy! You have to worry about polar bears and have to set a tripwire around your tent at night. That is that is exhausting. Have you have you had any encounters with with any bears? Yeah, I had uh, several, but I would say fortunately because they are beautiful animals and they are curious and um, and I think they're not uh, they're not at all uh, killing machines. It's like I would say in a certain certain level, it's like the perception we have with uh, sharks. Some people mm-hmm. are uh, defending uh, the sharks and their perception and. I've seen beautiful images where you see a shark and then you see a diver and then the question mark is, well, who is the killer? And um, and I think it's the same with uh, with uh, with bear. Of course, um, they are on the top of the food chain. So um, if we well, even though if I'm super inside me, I'm like really scared. Uh, but I try to, uh, when I face a bear, I try to um, be at his uh, level and I should uh, not run away and showing that I am a prey, but I will try to act as a predator. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then you can make some really beautiful encounters. One time we, we tried with, um, with two uh, French uh, sailors to go from Alaska all the way to Svalbard so across the entire Arctic Ocean via the North Pole on a small uh, 23-footer uh, homemade uh, catamaran with no engine. And uh, even though we failed on the journey because we didn't have any food, um, so we had to turn back. But uh, we met various um, polar bears. And I remember one evening we were in, uh, inside our sleeping bags and there's a young polar bear that came all the way to us and we couldn't hear him. That That is so amazing because there was no wind and the, the catamaran was laying on the ice and we couldn't hear anything. And when we realized that he was here, he was just right in the back of the catamaran. So he was maybe three meters away from us, his head. So we, we had a pepper spray oh and we gosh. used the pepper spray straight away. And the pepper spray was extremely efficient, and uh, we we I remember we saw the the polar bear running 
and he was putting his big uh, foot in his face because he had too much uh, spray in his nose. So yeah, that was a, that that's that was a good experience, and he was not hurt. The the bear was not injured, and we were and we were safe. So, Vincent, that is crazy, man. That what an ex- first of all, you 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 wanted to travel across the Arctic Ocean in a catamaran with no engine, ran out of food, and had to turn around. That that sounds like an episode by itself. Uh, and the fact that you ran into a, a bear as well is is pretty remarkable. I'm I'm glad yeah, you made it out. Yeah, well, we we the um, the math was was uh, was clear. We uh, we for two months we um, we sailed north uh, towards uh, North Pole, and then um, we did one third of the route in two months, and um, and then so we it was it was so clear that we had to turn back and go and sail all the way back to Canada because we would have been running running food, but. Uh, Above the above this uh, expedition and the, the fact that we turned back, we did these uh, great uh, encounters and and also one day we had this uh, beautiful mother polar bear with two cubs, and in these kind of moments, I I really uh, yeah, I really realized that uh, yeah we have the responsibility to uh, to I think change our daily habits to uh, to try to protect these uh, these precious and beautiful uh, animals. So what would you say is most striking to you about these glaciers and these ice caps? Are, are you seeing the evidence, I, th- I think the answer is probably yes, of climate change? Are you seeing the toes, like the beginning of them, how, how much it's receded? What, what, what about these are either so magnificent or so alarming to you? Yeah, they are, I think they act like big freezers on our on our planet and uh, i think that's the 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 reason why it, w- it would be so important that governments on our planets they don't fight for sometimes they shouldn't maybe fight for for power or for ego uh, but they should really well we, we shall all together consider the environment as being the place where we come from and the the human body is is balanced when it's about 30, uh, 37 and a half uh, Celsius. And when it's too warm, we have fever and, uh, and we feel pretty bad. It's probably the same with these ice caps. They, uh, they really regulate the temperature uh, of our planet. And that's why, uh, in a way, that, uh, that's why it's balanced. And we see that when the polar regions are affected and the ice is disappearing and then the 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 temperature continue rising and then we see the coral in close to the equator and in the in the tropics we see the coral bleaching fighting again and dying and so no matter whether we are in the polar regions or we are in the tropics i think we are all concerned and we are all in the same boats when it comes to uh, the environment and these these uh, habitats are really close to each other. And for me, right now, I didn't see, I didn't understand it uh, before. But no matter if it's the ice, the sea ice, or if it's the coral reefs, they both act like a, uh, like a garden for a rich ecosystem that is feeding on it. 
and and we in in the end we depend on it and um and so even if we're in a big city far away from them i think we still have uh, all our actions have an impact on them in the end yes they do they absolutely do you know, before before we go, could we could we hear a story from you about maybe one of the, one of the best experiences out there? Maybe a story of, of a a great day or a great experience out there completing this adventure. A great day. Um, I think it's uh, that's back in uh, Alaska because I have so much. I, I really like Alaska. It's a, it's, it's a, a great place. Yeah, I think my favorite place because there is. All the things that I that I like from from salmon going upstream rivers to to bears and and eagles and beautiful big mountains close to wild wild ocean, it's uh, still very beautiful and untouched. So together with Borgia, we uh, uh, successfully uh, yeah crossed uh, the the Chugach Range. And uh, and I remember in the beginning, uh, I, I think that was day four, day five. I lost uh, my crampons, so being uh, being uh, in the Chugach range uh, without crampons, so it's probably like uh, being in Antarctica with a t-shirt and a short. It's not very uh, what's recommended. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we had this friend uh, Matt Keller who um, came with this uh, bush plane, and um, and helped with the crampons, and he just dropped from from the sky a pair of crampons with uh, chocolate and salmon, and that of course, and then I realized uh, what it is to be uh, on a supported trip, and I didn't I didn't do the crossing unsupported, but uh, when we were in. Uh, when we were in uh, in Alaska and and Borge, that's that's the expedition when Borge fell through a crevasse twice the same day. Hmm. Days, uh, well, we basically ended up each day telling each other, "Well, what a day!" And that was the motto, our motto for nearly a month being in this uh, in these mountains. And in the end, we uh, we uh, yeah we crossed the ice cap and then we looked back and we can see the whole range and uh i think that was yeah that was probably one of the one of the best uh, trip and memories i had um together with uh, with Burger. that's incredible sounds sounds amazing i've been to alaska once and uh would love to go back what, yeah, what are you, you what are you looking forward to the most what which which of the expeditions are are, are just kind of on your radar and, and the, that you're excited about before, I think it was the achievement of uh, doing the crossing, taking the challenge, and um, and completing the journey. And I think today, what is the most important to me is to bring back samples to give to scientists. Um, yeah, that's what today fulfills me the most. It's to link really the, the adventure and the science. And so if we can successfully cross an ice cap and then I, I, when I have samples of ice in my sled, it's like these babies and uh, I'm really trying to take care of them. And so <laughs> when we deliver it to scientists, for me, I'm like, okay, 
I'm very stoked because I feel it's a it's a contribution and it's a, it's an adventure that has a, a purpose, um, and that's uh, yeah, that's very fulfilling. That, that that's kind of what expeditions were originally. Were 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 these scientific exploration? Uh, yep. It, it, and so the adventure itself was kind of just the necessary avenue to 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 get the science from it. So it is like a it is connecting you with some of these older expeditioners, these these old these, these historical events, and so you're you're able to contribute to that more and to uh, to put it to more to more even more of a purpose, which it already is. That's that's uh that's incredible, Vincent. Well, where can people find out more about you and 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 tell us what's your next planned expedition do you do you know what it's going to be yeah the next uh, plan is to go uh, so since we're here in norway the idea is to go to svalbard uh, again and do a winter expedition there so we are very excited uh, to do this uh, together with my girlfriend as um, the idea is to start the expedition in the polar night so leaving, uh, leaving for about a month in the total darkness uh, seems uh, uh, crazy and boring, but uh, but it's a very special experience, especially when you uh, on a clear day you ski under the northern lights. Um, so that will be the first uh, challenge, and then hopefully de- depending on the the COVID nineteen uh, situation. But we hope to go to uh, the southern Patagonia ice cap. And there, the idea is to collect some uh, black carbon all the way um, and deliver this to, to friends uh, who are scientists. So that will be the next two projects we have aligned for, for 21. Wow. Good luck on those. Uh, we'll be following along. Can't wait to Thanks, to see you on one of these adventures. This is exciting. You've got so many more to do, and, and it's uh, going to be years of year, year, years of important work. So, so I am excited to follow along and push our listeners to follow you as well, and to keep up with you and what you're doing. And um, we wish you the best of luck and stay safe. This year's been crazy, but uh, <laughs> I, I think it's all given us a chance to to reconnect with nature and to say. You know, how can we better care for this place? So thank you for the work yep. you're doing. Yeah, thank you very much, Mason. And hopefully uh, one day uh, we can uh, cross uh, skis uh, on the ice and uh, and do the next uh, podcast uh, directly from the field. Hey, hey, I'm I'm all down for that. We've had we've done that before. So hey, if you've got the way to do it, we'll 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 make it happen. Yeah, great to hear. Good. All right, Vincent. Well, have a great night, man, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, you too. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.